0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Some of the conversations that we think we're having are not the conversations that we are having in the sense of, you know, lots of people think NHS staff is striking for better pay, but it's about so much more than that. And actually, how can we deal with each of the challenges that are presented to us in
2: 2023.
0: Hi, how are you guys?
2: Good, thanks.
0: Yes, good.
1: How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm good. We're, just, um, we're back in from a dog walk, which is really nice, but now going to just focus a little bit of time talking about the NHS crisis. So firstly, I want to thank you both for joining the call. I know you're both super busy. Maybe let's start with a little introduction as to who you are, what you do, and why. Yeah, hi, I'm
2: Suzanne. Um, I'm Suzanne. I'm a journalist. Um, I'm a celebrity interviewer, but as you know, I'm very passionate about the NHS and I'm passionate about health reporting and things that are really topical and that are um, meaningful to me. So I sort of started writing. Whenever there's a medical story or a breaking news story, I sort of jump on it because I love working on breaking news. But also I think or well, my skill set includes interviewing people. And I think real life case studies make a really colourful story. So... My involvement with these NHS stories are actually speaking to the NHS staff, the nurses and doctors, and basically being able to share their stories in the press.
0: Amazing. And Katie?
2: So, yeah, my
1: name's Katie. I'm a NHS doctor, children's doctor, and I've been um, training or working for the NHS for 17 years. Wow, that makes me feel old. Um, I'm also an NHS campaigner, so I run. Um, either morale projects for NHS staff, probably the most infamous one was, um, get the NHS to Christmas number one in the UK music charts and beating Justin Bieber. And more recently, I run something called, co-run something with my pal Joe called, um, NHS Million, which is a platform, um, for NHS staff. Um, and I, as I obviously see the NHS on the front line, on the shop floor, but also I get thousands and thousands of Comments or messages talking about the realities of what it is to be an NHS um, worker currently on the front line, and also actually a lot of patients um, touch base with us. So I've got insights from both sides.
0: Amazing. So looking into the re- the realities that we see in front of us today, what is it really like on a shop floor?
1: The the, the further caveat, actually, my little introduction was just that actually I'm on maternity leave at the moment. <laughs> but in terms of, so I was only there. I was there. About three months ago, just before my baby arrived, and I've obviously done my share of winters in the NHS. But having lots of messages from different NHS staff, I think the word that would sum up those messages the best would be desperation. It's really desperate times working in the NHS, which is ridiculous, really. It should be a job. You know, it should just be something you turn up for work, take your sandwich in your lunchbox, you... Chat teammates, you get through the day, you get your paycheck. It's not like that. There's there's burnout, there's compassion fatigue, there's a very low mood, there's people who are really thinking, not can I just get through my job, but can I get through today?
0: Yeah. And Suzanne, what about like some of the cases that you've kind of come across? Because I know I've I've read some of your pieces and like it, it blew me away. It was one of the driving factors for wanting to get you on the call. So maybe kind of walk through some of the experiences oh, that you've had.
2: That's very kind of you. Be- I think just going on the back of what Katie said, I mean, she obviously knows it from the shop floor. I only really know it as a journalist, is I'd say, and this is a really horrible word to use, the suicidal thoughts is what really was the shock factor for me. I don't think you ever want to hear those words from, you know, a friend, let alone a stranger. So I've had new, I'd say hundreds of messages and the majority have got very, very dark thoughts. I don't know any other job where people would say that they had dark thoughts. And, and, and in some cases, these are people that are dealing with life and death, you know, looking after patients, life and death as it is. So you want the person looking after you to come to work and to be looking after you 100% healthy, not with mental health issues, which I think the job is giving yeah. them.
0: I think it's. Did you ever watch that program? Um, this is going to hurt. And also, there's another one on at the moment called Maternity. Like my wife's a doctor, and we we've kind of watched yeah. both of them. And I can't remember the girl's name in This is Going to Hurt that um, sadly took her life. But that at that moment in time, like me and my wife we were sat watching it, and she just burst into tears, crying. She was like, "That that's the reality. That's the reality that we have to deal." You yeah, well,
2: actually, touching up, touching upon that, I don't. You probably know Katie, but there was a. Um... Doctors in distress did a did an event last night with Adam Kay, the author of that book, and Adam at this event was actually touching upon the statistics of suicidal figures actually, not even thought thoughts people that have actually you know taken their own lives and that's what he touched upon last night.
0: Yeah, I think it's. um, I I did a podcast a while ago with a a guy called um, Dr. Simon Maltay, and he's a he's a doctor over in North America. And it's interesting because, like, at the moment, there is this clamoring, and it does feel like an almost indirect clamoring towards an insurance-based healthcare system. And looking at like the challenges that they face over in America, there's it's not like the perfect system. Let's put it that way. They they face the same issues that we're seeing here in respect to stress, but out and and suicide and there's also a, a large issue in respect to addictions as well and um, so you know I think ultimately there's a lot of challenge that's taken place at the moment but if you had to grasp at what the key problems may be what's dri- what's what's led to where we are today how how would you be able to summarize it
1: there's an awful lot of driving all of this I mean this is a system that's been chronically underfunded. Deprioritized um, over many years, many, many years. I think the issue from the staffing side is that um, we were just about hanging on, literally clinging on, clinging on there for life. Preceding all the pandemic stuff, um, NHS staff were already saying, look, there's big problems here and we need you to take this seriously. And um, they were the canary in the coal mine and no one's, no one has. And then a pandemic's come along and the usual winter side of things, um, and it's just completely wipes the floor with with us. Um, things like Brexit, of course, don't forget. Seems there's been so much happening politically over the last few years that it's easy to just easily forget something like Brexit, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, we've we've made people feel unwelcome um, who are working for us. We've um, really pushed those that have managed to stay working on the front line to the absolute limits of what they can cope with um we've lived through actual nightmares in terms of what we've seen at work um and we're losing our colleagues left right and center there's just not enough of us to to man it you know i think people often give the example of um of of an airplane you know would you would you let a, a plane leave the ground without all of the staff to be working at safe levels and Actually, NHS staff are no different. They're doing very um, difficult jobs that need a lot of precision and a lot of um, careful thought. And they're exhausted, and there's not enough of them, and it's it's dangerous. And there's only so long a system like that can
0: can comfortably for. And you mentioned like the how it is dangerous. So a lot of people like look at the um, strikes that are taking place at the moment, but. It's, it's not necessarily just a, the striking for better pay and for, uh, it's also about the conditions that as people are currently envisaging as well, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's as many people striking for work and conditions as there are who are striking, like, I believe, for patients because, uh, you know, it very much feels like this is an unsafe system and it just needs to change. Um, or at least somebody needs to take notes and try and do something. Conditions are ridiculous. When you're when you're being five people at work instead of one. On a job that would have been challenging anyway, you're never gonna have great conditions. But you know, I wouldn't people don't really believe you can't explain some how hard it is to go and get a glass of water. Um or, you know, how it's a real luxury of a day if you manage to get lunch. To be civilised. Or
2: even go to the toilet, I think.
1: I, I'm a chronic constipation sufferer right here, right now. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. It's not, one of the big changes is just make it a humane system for the staff and for the and Let's just suffer this firefighting.
2: Actually, that word, Katie, used firefighting. That was another word that constantly came up with the staff I was interviewing. It, it, it is.
1: I mean, we need the space and the time and the funding to be able to step back and actually, uh, I was, um, who was it? Oh, I think it was Adrian Childs I was listening to on the on, a, on the radio and he was saying that he he'd had a family member and he just felt so disorganised and how could such a big um, service fourth largest business in the UK, how could it be so disorganised? Okay. And it's just exactly that. You, you, you turn up for work every day You've got no idea of what you're going to be hit with, how many beds you're going to have, what's going to have happened overnight. The craziness of what you then have to try and juggle with. It, it's just bonkers.
0: But yeah, like in respect to the, you know, the, the state of the current headcounts that may be on a shift, for example, like my mum used to work in the NHS and looking and experiencing that kind of generational change to where we see where we are today. There was never insufficient number of people on a shift to cover an entire ward, for example. Now if you go into you know we've just come out of, I won't name the hospital, but we've just come out of having twins and you could sense there's an underlying fear there as if we can maybe manage one thing going wrong, potentially two. But on an entire ward, if more than two things went wrong, People will be in real trouble. And this is, it's not necessarily the people that get into the profession because why do you choose to be, why do you choose to go into the route of healthcare? You don't go into it for a profit stance. You go into it because you want to take care of people. And when the ability is removed to truly take care of people, that's when um, it's, it's up to us. It's not simply a case of like a few years ago where we stood on our doorsteps and clapped for our carers. It's a case of supporting our carers and showing care to them as well as they show care to us.
2: Yeah, Because like you, Peter, my, I grew up with a father that worked for the NHS for 50 years and He's an oncologist and people would always say to him, you know, you're amazing. You save lives. You develop tamoxifen. Um, And he would say he's not amazing. What is amazing is his nurses and he couldn't do his job without his nurses. And I just remember he would always come home from work and I would remember him saying to my mum, my nurses are like angels. And he couldn't do his job saving lives without his nurses. So I think, you know, that's where I became so understanding of the job nurses do and you know consultants without their nurses can't do that
1: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door
0: it almost feels like, for me at least, the NHS is so ingrained into like my life. It's like I've, I've married a doctor. My mum was part of that profession growing up. It's it's almost like a a national value. It feels that, and and it also it feels like there's been a, a gradual erosion of that value over a course of a number of years. And I think you know you can't do this podcast without talking about the conservatives and some of the decision-making that they've done. Like When I've looked at the junior doctor's contracts, for example, that changed under Jeremy Hunt, that affected my wife. When we look at, um, just the other day, Javid, um, Sajid Javid coming out and, and basically testing the waters with a favourable article about how patients need to pay for GPs and A&E visits. Um we look back to, I think it was around about December 2021, where the then Chancellor, the now Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, flew over to California to meet with healthcare company Grill, owned by a company that David Cameron was a paid advisor for at the time, to talk about the rollout of um, the NHS patients over and, and, and the involvement with um, US based firms like, into our very service and into the delivery of service and care here. So it's interesting because, you know, those those meetings are still shrouded in secrecy and there's still a lot of questions that remain unanswered. But we can't talk about the NHS without talking about what's taken place over the course of the last 13 years of Tory government. So speaking from a holistic stance from your own experience it's not whether you align to a party or not it's just about the reality so maybe katie like what what has it been like working within a system that does feel like that they, they are under supporting people for a cause it seems like there's a there's a desire to shift towards a um, insurance-based system
1: as i said earlier i've been um been training or a I um, think lots of people in my position, and I'm very similar to you guys, my mum's a nurse. Um, it's it felt like it's changed, I think, people working over this period would say. In fact, I hear it day in, day out. I've worked here yeah, for 10, 10, 10, 6 years, last uh, 12, 13 years. I've been, you know, every day, um, people think back to an early time and, and compare it to how much worth it is now.
0: If we were looking at the the last thirteen years, like do comparison, a compare and contrast between um pre and, and post like twenty ten.
1: Over the last kind of thirteen years or so. So I qualified in twenty ten. Um so I just I entered an NHS under the Tories. Um but I've in the in the time that I've been working, I felt that it's really changed um as a system and it's just felt, I mean, year on year really it's got it's gotten worse. And that was pre all the big stuff like Brexit and Bitcoin and all that. And that's a overwhelming comment that I get from people who contact us, they have to say, you know, I've for twenty six years that since the Tories have come in, it's just been terrible. Really the job has changed, the system has changed, the NHS has fundamentally changed and that's time period. Kind of I think lots of people worry a lot about what the intentions are. I mean, famously we break a system make it appealing for privatisation and that's, that's how it works and it's impossible not to think that that could be what's happening here <laughs> it's how to how to build it back up um, we could go down the privatisation system it's a, different, it's a different route but well for me a lot of what's going on at the moment um, is about staffing and recruitment and retention and so you do start thinking well what would sort this out um, if it was a private business, then of course there'd be market forces at play and conditions um, and pay presumably would improve for NHS staff. And then you're looking at um, retaining staff and all that side of things. I think lots of people love into false sense of security that you know it would the whole system would get better like that, and and that's maybe what the um, conservatives are thinking. But actually, you know, we're still going to we're still going to be paying one way or the other, whether that's through um, insurance or through taxation, paying for an NHS. And a lot of people, what is always forgotten about with the NHS is a lot of, I I hate it when people start to talk about vocation, but but actually there's a lot, there's an awful lot of goodwill and people work in the NHS system because they believe in the actual system. They believe in um, care that's free at the point of contact. And I think that that, holds more weight than people give us credit for. I'd be really interested to see what would happen if we did move across from insurance-based system. I did go and do a stint in an American, um, in Boston actually, um, and in New York, when I around the time I was qualifying, because I watched a lot of Sex and the City and I kind of imagined myself with a cocktail and um, a big dress and being a surgeon on, by night or whatever. And when I got out there, I realised that I wasn't out for that system at all. Because I've been brought up in the NHS and I really believed in it. As a doctor, in lots of ways, I'd be better off if it was a privatised system. I get paid better. I'd probably have more relaxed days at work and so on. But it would be a horrendous system, I think, for a lot of
0: patients. I think, yeah, we would we benefit as well in respect to a change to a healthcare-based, insurance-based system because... you know my wife get paid more but it's not about pay like you don't get into it through a desire to earn more money it's you actually get into a desire to help more people
2: always that's why my dad never did private practice and my mum I remember would always say we'd be a lot more richer, a lot richer if you did some private work and he said he didn't believe in that he wanted to give the same level of care to everyone
0: and it's it's troubling because from a yeah. care perspective, if you shift to that kind of insurance based system it's it's divides people, not everybody can afford private health care so we as what we see in America, an awful lot of people go without treatment and um, often leave themselves in 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 serious situations because they cannot afford the care that's needed and where we are at the moment we you know we've both just had children right so the best example to give from a parallel perspective is it costs in america on average eighteen thousand eight hundred and sixty five dollars including pregnancy delivery and postnatal care to deliver a single baby in america and have a baby in america now it's free here it it's and it's it's what we want from a society. Do you want a society where people grow rich in respect to their, you know, how how well a society is run? Or do you want a society whereby people profit and other people are left behind? And I think that we are at that decision based because if we start to shift towards like solutions, there is a lot of solutions at hand that I want to explore. Like one, one thing I noticed Gordon Brown was talking yesterday saying that, the issues that we face at the moment, from an NHS perspective, it kind of makes more of a comprehensive case for funding through um, national insurance, or you could also look towards taxation at the top one percentiles. There's there's an awful lot we can do that doesn't have to see a an, NA, an NHS that is beloved and respected the world around to erode at, at its very core. I think you know it's it's important that we do more.
1: Oh, it's only a few years ago, really, that the NHS was genuinely was the apple of everyone's eye, wasn't it? I mean, I dread to think going to the American system. There's so many American patients that, um, like for something take insulin, which was sold, paid, was sold for a dollar, wasn't it? So that everybody could utilize it. Now, um, get your insulin for $98 a piece in the US versus $2 a piece in, um, like Turkey. Or somewhere so you've got millions of americans who are just under treating themselves and then opening themselves up for the horrible complications of diabetes and an early an early death essentially and those are um it's the it's only capped uh-huh. in um for a small percentage of, of insurance companies so you've got you know just as soon as you put market forces in there it's food really the patient the patient doesn't matter whereas it, the NHS is wonderful about it, as you've observed, please. and Suzanne with your dad. You walk through the door and you look at everybody the same. And Again, when you go to different models of healthcare, again, we, we use the US, you, you walk into New York, you can see that things like mental health are, are in less control. You can just kind of feel that when you walk up the street there. You've got lots of um the social care side of things, mental health side of things. You can see there's a lot of unheated um, problems basically because when you're paying like that or trying to cover insurance you end up being very reactive not very proactive and that's what we really need to continue trying to grow at this site
0: yes Suzanne from from your experience and from some of the articles that you've been re- reading and writing and some of the cases and people that you've been speaking with what you know obviously we've talked a lot at the moment about the challenges of which there are many but in respect to solutions, what what have people been saying in respect to solutions, and, and what would they like to see take place?
2: Well, I think I haven't even I haven't really touched upon the solutions. It's more asking them why they're striking and what they're hoping to get out of it. I mean, for example, my recent story was um, I spoke to um, a critical care nurse who was the ward uh, the sister on her ward. And the last thing on earth she wanted to do was to walk out and strike. But she literally told me she had no choice. She was at St George's Hospital. She joined the picket line. And, I mean, she was fighting for better working conditions. You know, it wasn't so much the pay. It was the working conditions um, that just sound absolutely horrific. Like, for example, you know, having to examine patients in corridors where people are walking up and down so there's no privacy. People sitting in their urine because there's not enough staff to take them to the toilet. It was more about the working conditions um, and bettering them.
0: Do you think that um, people like outside the NHS, just like people that maybe haven't needed to go to doctors, people that maybe haven't had the experience with with a hospital of late, do you think they really realise the state and scale of of this crisis, or do you think that they're more swayed by what maybe can be said?
2: Do you know what? Personally, from my point of view, I would say yes, because it has really been exposed now. But then when I write an article and I get messages from doctors saying, thank you. Why, you know, This sounds like I'm so self-deprecating, which I'm not. I'm the opposite. But the messages are, why are more journalists? Why is it not in the press more? And so I'm wondering, am I just so aware because I'm writing about it and you know I'm following it and I'm Finding people to speak to, people are speaking to me. I mean, it's not the headlines anymore. I mean, I think there's almost a
1: fatigue on, you know, things are really bad this winter in the NHS because we have it year on year, don't we? And then we're going, it really is, it really is bad. It's like really bad.
2: I think when you see the images of, you know, old people, of people lying in their urine and people being examined in cupboards that are, you know, cleaning cupboards, those images, you know if they make headline news, it's like an image speaks more than a thousand words, or whatever the saying is. An image is shocking.
1: Well, one of the really frustrating things, of course, is you can't share loads of those images, or we don't, you know, the things that you see every day at work that you want to be like, oh my god, if the world saw this, but it's patient confidentiality and obviously basic human dignity, so those images don't get shared. And um, I was just listening to um, James O'Brien. Where a civil servant had phoned in um, and ended up losing his job because he'd spoken about his job. So that's the same for NHS stuff. People are scared. The reason we share lots of anonymous um, stories is because people are, are scared to speak out. They worry they'll lose their jobs. So I don't think you hear half of how bad it is. And, and even if you do, I think it's just one of those surprises. It's very hard to walk in the shoes of another person that, to and to actually imagine it. You think, well, yeah, we've all been tired. That's another thing that we keep getting at the moment we've all been tired we all be pandemic and of course all those things are true but
2: and also the other thing that I found shocking is the assault on staff I mean you know if I my local hospital the Royal Free Hospital A&E there you know is quite heaving at normal time and you see you know drunks coming off the street but I've been hearing of like staff being spat at which is most days, I get messages from nurses saying I've been spat at. I've been, you know, verbally abused in the car park. I don't know
1: anyone who hasn't been. I don't know anyone who's been either verbally abused or I was once strangled with my own stethoscope. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's lots of lots of. Um, in fact, I had a friend who was mugged this week. <laughs> I'm only really laughing because she sent me a message with. Um, she said, "Oh, my bike's just been stolen." So that was all gone. What actually emerged had happened is that some men had driven up to her on a motorbike and pulled her off the bike and stolen the bike. So she actually got, you know, manhandled and mugged, which she didn't even mention. She just said, oh, my bike's been stolen. And, and I said to her, are you okay? I and mean, that's quite a big thing to have gone through. And she said, Oh yeah, well, I work for the NHS, don't I? It's like a daily occurrence. <laughs> she said, you know, I'm absolutely fine with it because I just get all the same at work. So it's just a continuation of that. And I was like, well, that's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Although after my, um, strangling thing, I had got sent to a class, um, and it was hard to defend yourself against patients because they'd had, um, they'd had a, a nurse who'd actually left work and she'd been so brutally attacked by a patient that she couldn't work again. So, I was given some basic self-defense statements So you probably don't realize things like that happen in all you, but they do.
2: I think the other thing is, I mean, you tell me, Katie, the support systems like, for example, Doctors in Distress, and are they well known in, in, in your industry that there are helplines and care charities and things out there? i to trust. I think there's a lot of work
1: gone on by most trusts to try and highlight these different avenues of support. To try and let staff know about like well being projects. But my experience on the shop floor is that um, you're so saturated by your day to day existence of the job that seeking those things out, it's almost like you're, you're too broken to do that or something.
2: And you probably don't even have the time.
1: But no, I don't think a lot of these things, which might be very good, are utilized because of the pressures, pressures of the actual job. So I think there, is, there are efforts being made and some people working very, very hard on the well-being side.
2: Even the junior doctors, even the junior doctors I interviewed, on top of their jobs and everything else, they're doing exams as well. So there's no time. Yeah,
1: it's um, the exams go on and on um, and on. Yeah, those are all extra precious people don't realise the twist, don't realise you spend your whole life doing exams and paying for them. <laughs>
0: I think the thing is though, like crisis um compounds over time. So if you look at the fact we've gone through a COVID pandemic and then we had what take took place in respect to like uh, the winter seasons and also, you know, we talked earlier about how some of these stories may haven't may may have not necessarily come to light and aren't so frequent in, in the press as maybe that they should be. I think that the thing is that you almost you get used to scenarios at least speaking on behalf of what my wife says to me you get used to kind of seeing chaos and dealing with chaos on a day-to-day basis it almost becomes ingrained and it makes me think of there was a ted talk a little while ago by uh, dr sammy i can't remember her last name talked about like the empathy switch but the ability to kind of almost numb yourself to the scenarios as somebody looking looking from the outside about this, the challenges that people see on a day-to-day basis. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, you're almost expected. It's almost like we've done this before, so you should have to do it. And rather than actually address the root cause, which is there's an awful lot more what you could do to help and support people rather than kind of just expect it to be the norm. And I think where we where we should be going is is actually just taking the time to look at a system that's maybe failing at the short term and realizing, well, actually, there's a load of options available to us. But it, it starts with actually, you know, it, it always amazed me, for example, that the the government minister for health, largely, I don't know a specific record of anybody that's been a doctor, for example, taking that lead role in, in government. It, it surprises me how... They can have somebody that's say from an economic background and, and takes takes that route. Because
2: sorry, I was just going to say, Katie put something on. I think it was your Instagram with Lord uh, Professor Lord Winston was saying something on the podcast, something similar to what you're saying, Pete.
0: Yeah, like it, we we had a little while ago as well. Um, John Ashton talking about the at the early days of COVID. I had I had him on because he used to be regional director for the NHS and. Some of the centralization that we 've seen occur over the last couple of years is just it just doesn 't make any sense because you 're taking the ability for people that deal with the day to day of situations you 're taking almost leaving that as a as a known error of judgment, just leaving them aside the whilst trying to make these centralized decisions that just you know don 't align to the care for people and I think that's where we, we are at the moment. We could be doing so much more. And I know that there's this like golden goose, if you kind of look at it, like the healthcare profit pool is expected to grow by 4% annually from $654 billion to $790 billion in 2026, according to McKinsey. I know that golden goose is there. I know why people want to go down that route. And I know if you look to some of the key businesses in America that make the most profit annually, a lot of them are healthcare-based. But you know, like, we, we don't need to be like that. We could we could show a different form of economic model rather than a kind of perpetual profiteering at the cost of people. And I think, you know, it's it's what we are as a country, what we are as a nation. Like, what do we really want to be? Like, we're all, as you mentioned earlier, Suzanne, like children of uh, children of NHS professionals. And I, I just think we should be so much more than what we see at the moment. I think that we could do so much more. And when we start to see things like excess deaths at, you know, amongst the worst in 50 years, like we have got a night that recently was reported there was a 9% increase above 2019 figures. We have a system that's on its knees, but, you know, it's not a case of sticking a plaster on it and, ca- and carrying on. Or it's also not a case of ushering in an entire new ream of reform. It's ultimately about a consultation period where you consult with the people that are really um, dealing with the day to day, ask them for their input. Like, you know, kind of like this podcast, we're talking largely about the issues, but, like if we're gonna talk about the solutions, like if you were given a a pot to say, right, here we are, there's a pot of money, you're gonna get more funding, you're gonna get more support, what would you do? Because Bre- we did mention the B word in Brexit briefly, but Brexit has also limited the freedom of movement of people. So the ability to actually train staff, like it does it is it seven years it takes to train a doctor? So you have a lag, we need to have freedom of movement again for a lot of these roles that are in the excess like to be filled. From your experience, and Suzanne, I know the the stories that you've you've consulted people with and they're talking about the realities, such as treating people in corridors. But from your journalistic journalistic background, where where would you envisage us to go from this period in time? Because there is more issues to be really addressed. I think that the we kind of touched upon it briefly in respect to, you know, almost like fatigue factor. But I think also to counter that from a government level, we're all on a day-to-day basis. We're seeing new stories break of new chaotic events taking place. I'll give you a case in point. Nadim Zahawi yesterday, for example, with his tax affairs. He's not innocent until proven guilty, but you've also got, you know, there's evidence in respect to various let's call it cronyism, cronyism, that's been taking place. We have what happened with Liz Truss in her um, interest in days in office. Those kind of events are not really what uh, our nation is used to. We're used to kind of governance. And because of that, we end up having situations that really should cause offence and distress to people, i.e. systems of healthcare on its knees and need to be like rallied around and supported. We we're distracted almost with this like the latest event that's taken place on a government level.
2: And when you say we're distracted, it also kicks off what is really important from you know the news. When you say we're distracted, you know, I mean, again, the NHS crisis is far more important. Than what you've just touched upon.
0: Yeah, exactly, but it but it never gets it never really gets there.
2: especially when. I don't mean to go back to the rates of suicide, but that is what really, really bugs me. And it's no surprise when you see the figures of the doctors, you know, moving abroad to Australia. So, so I think in terms of what I want to do more of as, you know, I suppose being able to get articles out there is just keep hearing the the real life human stories because, you know, a case study is the most important thing to what I do, I think. I don't know enough about the NHS to write anything, you know, without a case story, a, a case study. And I've got hundreds and hundreds of case studies, and none of them are pleasant stories. All firefighting, all suffering mental health issues, all, you know, having dark thoughts, and it's very, very sad and worrying and alarming.
0: I think that, I think that's probably the best way to finish it because, like. There's no solution without fixing the problem. The problem has to be face down, head on. And like it is a tragedy what we're seeing at the moment. And like we'll only get to a solution when people start to take the issue seriously and start to really take care of people.
1: I mean, the problems are multifaceted, aren't they? And it's time for some really difficult conversations. But I just think that there can be a different difficult set of conversations to what the Tory party think there can be. Um, and there is different solutions, And some of the conversations that we think we're having are not the conversations that we are having in the sense of, you know, lots of people think NHS staff is striking for better pay, but it's about so much more than that. And actually, how can we deal with each of the challenges that are presented to us in 2023 for an NHS that we want to last for as long as he grows up and for as long as your twins grow up and well beyond that time?
0: Well. No, thank you very much for your time, both. Thank you for sharing your insights. I really appreciate
2: it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. let's hope we can do an update on some better positive news and, and and outcome soon thanks thank you for listening to the purpose made podcast don't forget to subscribe to purpose made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views you can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made, or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.